if you are going to school for programming or technological, whatever, go to a trade school. Do not go to a university. Go to a trade school because they're going to teach you more of the nuts and the bolts of what you can expect out in the real world. Hey everyone, I'm here with Kyle, who's a software developer for an auto financing company. I met him through theater a couple years ago, and he is a guy that I just think is a great fit for the podcast. He's a good friend. I just want to say thank you, Kyle, for agreeing to come on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. How long have you been in software development? How'd you get there? Just go ahead and give us a quick overview of your career up to this point. Yeah, so I just calculated this is my 17th year in software developing. So I've been there a long time. Uh, this is my third job in software developing. And how I got here was I originally went into seminary and just decided throughout the course of the four years that that wasn't necessarily for me. And so I decided to go back and get a more uh, stable job and something that I thought was creative and I thought I might be interesting, interested in, which was computers. So I went to DeVry University and crammed nine semesters into three years and have been working ever since. So I began working as a software developer for Infinity Insurance I went to a small company called Digital Alchemy, which is a customer relations management service. So anytime you go stay at a hotel and you get email spam for the rest of your life, I created that spam. <laughs> ah, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I work at GM Financial and I work in the processing and yeah, 17 years. So how long have you been in your current role then? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Interesting. So you went to DeVry. What exactly did you get your degree in? So when I went to DeVry, I really didn't know the path that I was supposed to take. All I was interested in was computers. So I talked to an advisor and I said, I'm interested in how a computer works and possibly designing some things, games or whatever. And she said, you sound like a, a good fit for computer engineering technology. So I thought, great, sign me up. What I didn't know was they were pushing a new degree program, which was a little bit of hardware and a little bit of software. So my schooling was half and half of each. So I got a little bit of the nuts and bolts and then a little bit of the foundation, which is, you know, the, the foundational programming, which way back in the day was assembly language, C++, and all of that. So I went to school and basically got the bare basics. Got it. Everything else I've learned on hand experience, which really I feel is our, is where our learning is, is actually doing so. Interesting. So school really provided you more just like a foundation, but it didn't get into the specifics mm -hmm. in terms of teaching you the actual on the job skills. It more just yeah. gave you a framework for the knowledge. Is that kind of what you're yeah. saying? Yes, it's yeah. so. And I think that really it's with any job. I would agree. Only scratch the surface in school. And the real learning that you get is going to be on hand, on hand, on hands experience. And then even further than that, 
when you go into teaching others, that's where you learn the most. Yeah, I agree. How did you get that first job out of college? So DeVry had a job fair. They would always tout throughout school that they had a 99% placement rate for graduates. And they have job fairs at the end of every semester. And they literally picked me up and put me into this position with Infinity Insurance. Wow. It was almost as if they came for me. I had to interview and go through the tests and all that. But when I look back, the process was so fast and so easy that I really have to hand it to DeVry for working it all out. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you think that was because you were in a highly sought after specialty or field, or is it just because tech workers are so needed? Or was that just a credit to your school that they were able to place you into any job? I want to say all of the above. All the above. And that's just the direction, especially, and this was back in 2004, you know, we're just headed towards technology. Yes. Now we're getting into the cloud phase of technology. And so that opens up even more opportunities for people. But yeah, really to answer your question, it's all of the above because DeVry actively seeks out employment for their students. And there is such a need for it. And especially now, where everybody's working remotely. Yes. It's just, there's so much of a need for it just to keep companies up and running. Yeah, I think that's right. So Kyle, what skills do you use daily in your job? Are you in one specific software all the time? Are you using a lot of different programs? Let, kind of walk us through the nitty gritty of that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, so it's a lot, a lot of things that I'm in. But we, we, used third, we use third-party software. Um, applications. We use .NET coding. We have to speak and uh, connect with vendors and we have to use their integration processes and um, to integrate with ours. Really, it, it's on the computer all day, but there's many types of applications that we use. For techies out there in the world who know what I'm talking about, we have an application called OutSystems that's for one of our business rule services, and we use TIPCO for our business works process, which maintains the flow of our process. And uh, of course, right now we are converting everything into the cloud. So we're using Azure cloud services as our platform. And now we're rewriting every piece of our legacy systems and putting them into Azure functions and platform like that. So really my hands are in a lot of things. So what kind of projects do you work on daily? Are you handling payment systems? Are you handling back-end stuff, front-end stuff, or all of the above? All of the above. When I first got to GM Financial, and right now when you get out into the working world, and this isn't just exclusive to technology, but everyone's moving to the agile methodology. And if you don't know what that means, normally when you go into a working environment, the uh, process is you have a project that needs to be done. Here's what they want done. And here's the day that they want it done. So you have all this time to do all the work and then you go into the testing phase and you do all the testing and then you go into the integration phase and you push everything out into production. And that's called a waterfall. And now we're getting into agile, which is breaking it up into smaller pieces, smaller deliverable pieces that if I take this one chunk off of it, develop it and deliver it, it provides some value without having to do the whole project at once. So that's really where everybody is moving. 
uh, right now we are really submerged submerged into our uh, rewriting our legacy systems into the cloud. So it's a lot of conversion. We are you know moving into C sharp.net, which is what the foundation of Azure Functions are. So we're having to re uh, rewrite a lot of our processes, which GM Financial relied heavily on Tipco. And if you don't know what that is, it's a it's a third party that um, produces visual applications. So there for a while, coding was moving to more visual applications where, you know, you drag and drop your and connect your processes without having to write the code. Yeah. Um, but now we're kind of moving back to writing code. Actually writing it yourself. Yeah, writing because it's a little bit more stable and it's a little bit more from a troubleshooting standpoint. Uh, maintenance, it's, it's a little easier for us to do that than having to go through TIBCO and say, hey, this is, isn't working. Tell us what it is. But uh, so, yeah, we'll take a project. So right now we're rewriting our whole system. So the agile methodology, we um, go through what we call sprints, which is an iteration of working time, which ours is typically two weeks. And so in two weeks, we've got these tasks that we're going to do. And we just work on this work. And then once these are finished, we push it out to production and we demo it to our stakeholders and they give us the thumbs up and then everything's good. And then the next two weeks, we go back and take another slice of the pie and we do the same thing over again. We do all the work involved. We document it, we test it and we send it out, we demo it. And that is how we tackle our work. Perfect. That is exactly what I was looking for. Thank you, Kyle. How autonomous would you say the job is? Are you working by yourself all the time? I know since COVID um, has happened, everybody's working from home currently. Mm -hmm. Are you touching base with team members all throughout the day? Or are you pretty solitary in your job? You know, it really all depends. There are some days I'm solitary. If I, you know, pick up a task that I just get my heads down, hands on keyboard, which is what they call HOK in the software world, hands on keyboard. That means I'm in the zone. Yep. And leave me alone. I'm working. You know, that could, that could be an all day thing and I can finish up a task. Some days I'll have meetings all day. There's sometimes that we have to get into a, a, what we call our war rooms where we'll get on a zoom call. We use Microsoft teams. So we'll get on a, a conference call and somebody will share the screen and we'll all just all do the work together. And this really depends on the day. It depends on the, the part of the project that we're doing. It depends on our understanding of what we're working on. If there's something that I'm not completely clear on, I'll need to work with a buddy. Got we'll it. have to get it knocked out together. But I think that's something that's really good about this line of work, in particular the job that I'm in right now, is that variety. Because my day does not look the same every day. And I appreciate that about what I do right now. So you do get some nice variety. That's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're uh, structured as far as the time is concerned? Like, do you get off at the same time every day or does it really just depend on the busyness of that day? It really depends on the busyness of the day. Um, and, and that's also has to do with working remotely too, because you've yes. got to really be disciplined in managing your time. There are some days that, and going back to the Agile methodology, a lot of it works by really predicting how long a certain task is going to take and you put hours on it and whatnot. And sometimes you will score a task 
far more than what it would really take you and you get into it and think oh this is going to be a breeze so if i've got something that's six hours which is typically an entire work day i can get it done first thing in the morning and really it's up to me and the honor system on whether i you know fill up the rest of your time with other projects working all the rest of the day or you know jump in and help out on something else or you're going to do something around the house that i need gotcha but uh, yeah, I'm going back to the original question. As I've been talking, I forgot what that original question. No, it was good. It's kind of just dealing with like work-life balance. And do you the- do you get off at five every day? Is it the same exact day in terms of like you know time is yeah. concerned? No, it's absolutely not. And again, it depends on the busyness. So you know, I was talking to my wife about this just the other day because sometimes she'll question, you know, why you know don't why can't you just stop what you're doing when it's time to go? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in this line of work, there's not really a stopping place because yeah. if I'm working on code, I may maybe working out of a, a code base branch that somebody else is working out of too. So I can't just stop. I'll have to check it in. I'll have to test it. I'll have to make sure it integrates with the other person's code without creating conflicts and then deploy it. And that takes time. So I really got to be mindful that it could take anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes to get to my stopping point. So I'll have to do that beforehand. Not always easy to time it by the end of the workday. And really, since I work from home, my computer's always on. And it's just up to me not to pass by the room and, and think to myself, oh, I need to see what's going on at work. Yeah. You know, it could be nine o'clock and I'll come in and find some of my contractors working. And so, you know, it's just, it just depends. It varies. Yeah. I think that's a common theme as the world becomes more and more connected. You know, everybody is always on their devices, always on their phones. And so a lot of companies expect people to be able to be reached at any time. Do you feel like you have had to set boundaries with the company to be like, Hey, after X time of night, I'm done. I can't, I'm not going to respond. Or what's that been like? Yes, absolutely. You have to do that. Yeah. Because, and as much as people will say they want to respect your time, it's easy to get lost in the work and caught up with what needs to be done and forget that and forget that about other people. We just had a similar situation just at the beginning of this summer because we we put our first product in the cloud back in June. And in the weeks leading up to that, there were a lot of things that our leadership would come down and say, this this piece of it needs to be done on Monday. And, you know, we're on Thursday or Friday. And if it's not done, then we're going to have to work on Saturday. And to which I would respond, and it's totally within my rights to say this, number one, we're working agile now. We shouldn't have had a deadline. We should yep. have told you, this is the chunk of work we're doing. And this is how, how, how long we have that we can offer it to you. And I'm not working on Saturday. I don't do that. And I won't. Do that. And it's not my responsibility. It's not on my shoulders. If I'm doing everything humanly possible the week leading up to Saturday, I'm sorry, I can't provide it to you. So you'll just have to either not meet the deadline or I don't know. And so my team knows that I don't work on Saturdays or Sundays. Yeah. And that's regardless if we hit a deadline or not. And I'm well within my rights because honestly, I'm salaried. I don't get paid for working on Saturdays. And that's not part of my job description. People, people in general are intimidated to set their boundaries and stand their ground because they are afraid they're going to get fired. Yep. 
I think that's really true. And unfortunately, there's some truth to it. Sometimes people are fired for not going above and beyond and selling their soul to a company. But I think that's why we're seeing such a great wave of, you know, resignations. We're in a period people are calling the great resignation right now because people are tired of it. They don't want, they they want that work-life balance. They want to be able to live their life and not just live to work. So that's good that it's possible to set boundaries. I don't know if it's always successful, but at least I'm hearing from somebody that has at least done it. (laughs) It's not always successful, but then at the same time, that's always my choice, whether it is or it isn't. Yep. That's true. All right. So let's pivot a little bit. Let's focus on the listener who may be interested in a similar role in software development. Just kind of a general question. What kind of person would thrive in this sort of job? Let's see. Well, I would have to say a very introverted person who likes to work heads down, hands on keyboard would very much thrive. Very logical, very analytical people, people who like to take things apart and figure out how they work and put them back together again will very much thrive in this type of work. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. What about Real quick, what about like math? How much math is actually involved in the coding that you do? You know, it's not so much math as it is logic. Logical thinking. Mm -hmm. Logical thinking. And really that's the the foundation of coding. I really don't know how I can describe it in terms of math or, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, that's all right. I think honestly that answers the question because I know... The reason I asked the question is I was interested in potentially going down that route, you know, years ago, but uh, I heard that, you know, oh, coding is a lot of math and you have to take a lot of math courses. And that was the one area where I didn't, I just didn't love math. And so I went away from it. And only in recent years have I kind of heard, oh no, there's, there are opportunities in software that really are more just logic and thinking things through, you know, critical analysis, but it's not, it's not heavy on you know, upper level math. And so uh, who knows, maybe if I could have talked to myself 10 years ago, I would have uh, gone a different route, but that's, that's really the reason I ask the question. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, Kyle, what's a person that would not succeed in this role or would get into it? You know, who have you seen in the past that has gotten into a position similar to yours and then found out quickly, oh, this is not for me? Oh, you know, there's just a whole spectrum of people who do not like to be confined to a desk and sitting in front of a computer. Yep. And really, if you take off, you know, the variety of what you can do and even the connections, it really is you're in front of the computer. Now, when I was in the office, it was a little bit different because, you know, we would go back and forth to meetings across the building or go into war rooms where we all hook up our laptops and work together. And there's a lot of interaction with other people. But especially now when we're working remote, I mean, I'm here in front of this computer and I'm kind of getting into a stage of my life where I'm kind of ready to take off those shackles and not into this office anymore. But That being said, really anybody who likes to use their hands, likes to see people face to face, likes to be out and about, will not thrive in this job. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the comic strip, the different professions and the tan lines that they get. I I may have. I I think I may have seen it as a meme, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) The golfer and he'll have the tan lines down his arms and and he'll have the beach 
surfer dude and you know his whole body will be tan and you know just the various tan lines and then you have this awful developer and he's got none nothing yep <laughs> yep <laughs> all right let's see what's next Kyle, do you mind sharing without getting too personal, what's kind of a typical compensation range for roles like this kind of early career, mid career, late career? So when I started 17,000, 17,000, I started entry level at just right at $40,000 a year. Okay. I want to feel like, because I was looking, I was looking up market value for software developer at my level just mm-hmm. to see where you know if I was right on the line and I did find out that I was because right you know on the line even a little bit over at yeah. gym, or what the, the median salary is but for entry level today I would estimate probably between 80 and 90 thousand dollars a year and what what skills would an entry level person need to possess to actually snag a job today? Um, would it be enough for them to have a computer science or computer engineering degree? Or do you think that they should also be brushing up on skills and know specific software sets or coding skills? Because I know for my generation, the biggest hurdle is just getting that first job. And then once you've had it, other opportunities open up to you. So yeah, what do you think a degree is enough or do you think that they need to have hands-on experience and skills beforehand to get that first job? So many companies, and this is from my experience of applying to different places throughout the last 17 years, many com- companies require a degree in something. Yes. I don't know if that is still the same now. I am under the belief, and especially after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that unless, you know, companies require it, the real learning comes from actually doing. And, and it also depends on the company that you are interviewing for, because some of them just have really easy laid back interviews. They just want to see your personality. They just want to see, you know, do you have the basics and the foundation to be able to do the job? Some of them get really technical. And I'll tell you right now, I am terrible at technical interviews because Hmm. like I said, you know, my degree, my schooling was half hardware, half software. So I got the very fundamentals and I'm not really textbook when it comes to coding. I'm very hands-on. I'm very self-taught just through my experience at work. And when it comes to technical interviews, I don't know the terms. Interesting. I sit down and code it for you. If you ask me a question, well, how do you do this? And I'll say, oh, I'll show you and I'll do it and I'll knock it out real fast. But if you tell me to explain it in a textbook way, I will fail. I will say, well, you know, you just, you, you compare these two and you do this and do that. And it doesn't sound very professional at all. Um, there are a lot, of, I've interviewed at a lot of places with very difficult technical interviews. Hmm. So with that being said, you need, if you were serious about getting a job in software development, you do need to get your basic fundamentals of coding and even the intermediate levels on, you know, being able to describe or define what is an object, what are the properties of an object, what is object-oriented coding, how do you handle errors, you know, what's, what's the in .NET language, or what is a catch and a try? So really, if you find all of these definitions that you can learn and memorize, it's kind of like you're coding ABCs. Really good to brush up on these things, terms and definitions. 
because technical interviews will ask those things. All right, let's let's move on to a slightly different question. This is more just a personal one. Kyle, does this job feel fulfilling to you at this point? Is it draining? Is it stressful? If so, how do you deal with that? Again, I'm going to say it's all of the above. I mean, this is a very multifaceted position that I'm in. Some days are very stressful. We've got multiple things going on right now in my current position. So not only are we converting our systems and putting them into the cloud, we've got one product in the cloud already. So we're trying to iron out the kinks from that conversion while at the same time maintaining our current legacy system and pressing forward with the next product we're putting into the cloud. So we're doing all these things simultaneously and it can make for a really stressful day. Um, fulfilling. I was just thinking about it on my walk this morning because of the, the nature of my work. I can work from home. Yeah, It is possible. And so I get to walk my kids to school every day and I get to go pick them up if I want to. I'm at home. I can be in my PJs all day if I want to. I can get a lot of work done, um, especially at home. I'm much more productive at home than I am in the office. Hmm. I am at home. I can take care of things while Megan gets to go out and work. And I can, you know, I can be sous chef and get dinner started before she gets home and then she'll finish it. So with all that being said, it's very fulfilling. What's not fulfilling is that as I get older and my interests are changing, there's other things that I want to do. Yeah as in writing and editing and things like that. And it really does kind of chain me to this office so that it makes it difficult for me to be able to go out and explore those things. I'll say that, yes, my job is fulfilling because it's flexible, great benefits. I can do my work. I can be independent. I can work with people. But at the same time, my passions are leading me away from it. So it's not fulfilling. Yeah. Well, go ahead and tell me about your passions, Kyle. I, I did want to give you the opportunity to uh, mention your book. So go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah. So I started writing when I was a kid. I was always writing stories. And then I got older and life and circumstances kind of led me away from that. And I ventured back to it just within the past five years and decided, you know what, I'm actually going to sit down, I'm going to write a novel and I'm going to finish it. And so after five years of working on it, 30 minutes a day, I finished it. The book is called The Clock Upon the Wall and it's available on Amazon. And yeah, I'm hoping that it's a door that opens to many, many more. That's awesome, Kyle. Yeah, I love that you found the time, even with a full-time job and a family and every everything else, that you were able to pursue something that you were passionate about and an artistic, creative endeavor just for yourself. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes and see if you can crank out some more. That's going to be really good. I'm anyway. I'm just really I'm proud of you as your friend. So that's good. Only a couple more questions, Kyle, because you've done such a good job of answering the ones that I have. Honestly. Your choice. Uh, do you have any funny job stories or stories of like a horror day where it was just a bunch of ridiculous things happened all in a row? You get to choose. Oh, wow. I know it's putting you on the spot. It's kind of a hard one to answer. Well, I mean, there's but... so many stories that I have. I can think of one. So when I was in my first job, programming was Infinity Insurance. And I had been there for probably three or four years. And I was just getting to the stage where... I was able to kind of venture out on my own and start designing and creating stuff on my own. And I was tasked with, I was designing a new process 
And I can't even remember what it was at this point, but when I presented it to our leaders, I was so excited. And my leaders just looked at me and said, no, that's not the way we want to go. I'm just totally dismissed it out of hand. There was no discussion about it. It was not like it. That was such a deflating moment. I thought, oh, wow, I'm really terrible at this. And I just kind of held on to that for a couple of days until one of my other leaders came over to my cubicle a few couple of days later. And he said, I just saw the deflation on your face. And while this other leader, he said, he's not really tactful and he doesn't really say, he just gets to the point and says, no, we don't. He said the the, the design was great. It just wasn't going to fit with what we're going to do. So he got to come back and reiterate that and build up my encouragement a little bit. Um, But I will say a Funny, it wasn't funny at the time, but an interesting story. And these are types of things that, you know, you, you'll, I mean, if you come into the software development, everybody's going to make mistakes. And that's why I want to tell these stories because everybody's so afraid of making mistakes. I know I am. I know I was. Yep. And again, this is at GM Financial and I was really set out to work on a project on my own, which just happened to be the disbursement part of our platform that actually physically sends money to the dealers. The way our process worked before, we would send invoices as files to a specific folder, and then those files would be read by a process and then disperse the money. But we decided to make it real time. So when our applications were going through its contract phase, it would just send the data through. And as the data would go and be read by another process, it would disperse the monies. So it was a little more fluid, a little more real time, because in, with the old way, the files would go and sit in the folder. And there was a specific time that the process would go pick up those files. So it wasn't real time. So I was able to design the whole new system of taking the data and doing that. Before we put the new project into production on a Saturday, we had to turn off the process that picked up the files. So all the invoices that went into those folders on Friday, it got turned off and those invoices sat there. Turn around on Monday, and these were advances, advanced invoices. So if you know anything about the auto industry, dealers, pretty much their meat and potatoes are their advances because they pay their employees That's how they offer incentives on cars. You know, when you go out and buy a new car and, you know, they've got these incentives, you'll get $2,000 cash back, whatever. They pay that out of their pool of advances. Anyways, so those advances didn't get to the dealers by Monday morning. They just sat there in that file. And as I'm getting in Monday morning, bright and early, and I'm monitoring the process, everything's going good, everything's great. And then I remember, oh, oh, we forgot to process all those advances on Friday. So I started to freak out. And so I went and I did a few things and I started processing them on my own. And at the same time, I didn't know that the business was, the business was doing it as well. Oh, so those no. advances got paid twice to the tune of $2 million to the dealers wow. in one day. And it's not that we couldn't get that money back and it's not that it would have been the end of the world, but it's just the process of getting that money back because even though, because dealers get mad for two reasons. They get mad because you ask for money back. They also get mad when you overpay them because then they have to go through the whole headache of putting the money back. And so it really felt like all $2 million 
of those dollars was riding on my shoulders, which it wasn't really because it was not technically my responsibility to go back and get those files. I just happened to think about it. Um, but anyways, that's something that I experienced that was a major life lesson for me. Number one, you can make mistakes yeah. and it's going to be okay. And number two, you need to cross your T's and dot your I's before you put something that big out. That's a good story. Perfect. Kyle, I just got one more question for you, man. Do you have any practical advice for someone who wants to do what you want to do? Do you have like resources or next steps? And if not, if you feel like we've covered that, do you just have any general advice for a young up and coming professional that wants to make it in this world? Yes. If you are going to school for programming or technological, whatever, go to a trade school. Do not go to a university. Go to a trade school because they're going to teach you more of the nuts and the bolts of what you can expect out in the real world. I would go on and take as many courses as you can. There's all kinds of courses available, whether it's from Microsoft Azure, there is, oh goodness, I can't even remember all their names, but there's so many training websites out there that you can go and you, you can get as specific as you want and you can learn anything that you want. Don't worry about the cost of the training course because it's an investment and you will get a return on your investment. So this is going back to the question that you asked before about what can you expect when you interview, expect that you will have mm -hmm. the hardest technical test interview that there could possibly be. And so by going and doing those training courses, you can learn the textbook of coding. Kyle, that is so helpful. Thank you again so much for agreeing to do this show. I wish you the best of luck in your future writing endeavors, as well as your career in general. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time.